welcome to Euractiv's AgriFood Podcast. I'm Gerardo Fortuna. And I'm Natasha Foote. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from Euractiv's AgriFood team. So this week, one of the main topics of the week has been about social conditionality uh, in the CAP reform. And this is basically a fancy way of saying um, the inclusion of provisions on workers' rights uh, being at the heart of the reform of the um, EU's common agricultural policy. Um, so there's been a lot of talk about environmental conditionality. So by that, I mean linking uh, the CAP funding with environmental uh, provisions and trying to up the kind of environmental uh, ambitions in the farming sector. But this is now talking about the social elements of farming, so workers' rights and how you can also link the CAP funding to that. So I don't know about you, Gerardo, but this is, I mean, for me, kind of one of the first times I've heard about this social conditionality. We've spoken so much about environmental conditionality. It started with uh, with some amendments uh, hmm. to the Common Agricultural Policy Reform. The reform was presented by the Commission in uh, uh, June uh, 2019, and um, the European Parliament put a strong focus. They, they presented some MEPs, presented some amendments. Uh, they've been embedded in the negotiating mandate of the European Parliament, and it became an outstanding issue. Because the council uh, has a different, I mean, ministers ha- have a different view on uh, social conditionality because they basically say it's it's something that uh, it's in the realm of uh, of national legislation, no? Mm-hmm. But um, as you said, it's it's quite important because uh, we're talking about, uh, I mean, labor conditions of workers in in farms. Sometimes it's not that positive. Uh, there's a lot of exploitation, for instance. Mm, definitely. And a lot of kind of insecure work in farming as well. You know, there was, um, I think, the the ILO, um, the International Labour Organization, they released some statistics about how I think it was around 60% of EU agri workers have kind of informal employment. Um, and, you know, there's also a lot of talk about how, you know, workers' conditions in the agricultural sector um, are extremely, can be extremely challenging um, across across the EU. Um, but yeah, you, you, you're right that there's an interesting kind of divide here between the Parliament and the Council. Uh, the Parliament, on one hand, who have offered this kind of staunch support for the inclusion of social conditionality, um, and the Council, which are saying this doesn't really fall under the remit of the CAP. This is outside the CAP's um, mandate, and you know they're not happy that it wasn't in the Commission's original proposal, and it's kind of been sprung on them now. Actually, I think there's a lot of opposition to this amongst ministers, especially in, in a few select countries. But I think generally across the board, there's, a, you know, there's, there's objections to the idea of including this social conditionality in the CAP reform. But there's a reason why we're talking about social conditionality this week. Yeah, so this week um, there was this letter that was published signed by more than 300 European organisations, um, individuals, NGOs, environmental groups, all advocating for social conditionality. So basically arguing that direct payments should be conditional on respect for uh, the applicable working and employment conditions under relevant collective agreements. This includes national and EU law, as well as international um, labour organisation conventions. So there's a lot of support for this amongst, as I said, you know, over 300 different organizations, NGOs, individuals that have signed this. Um, so really, the, the conversation on this topic is definitely heating up. Um, you see 
somewhat of a divide, as we've spoken about, between the Parliament and the Council on this issue. There's also um, somewhat of a divide between, you know, elements of the farming community. For example, the EU Farmers Association, Copa Cajeca, they they raised concerns that the inclusion of social conditionality in the CAP reform um, could be problematic for farmers. You know, they were saying that they're concerned, the current process of the, the CAP reform, you know, this will increase red tape, administrative burden for farmers, um, you know, and they're not in favour of, of including the social conditionality. So there's some kind of interesting divides going on here. We're not really sure how this discussion is, is going to land. And I mean, as we speak, for instance, uh, I'm just checking uh, Twitter and the Agriculture Commissioner Janusz Wojciechowski. Of course, as you always are has just tweeted uh, that he he he's confirming the reception of the letter uh, mm-hmm. that the European Commission will reply in due course. So it's uh, probably the the most interesting issue that has been discussed uh, this week in the in town So we're here today with Enrico Somalia, who is the Deputy Secretary General of the European Federation of Food, Agriculture and Tourism Unions. So welcome to the podcast, Enrico. Um, So today we're here to talk a bit about social conditionality, uh, something that has come up a lot in the last few few days, last few weeks. Um, So could you explain, uh, to kick us off, could you give an explanation to our listeners of what actually is social conditionality? And why do you think it should be included in the common agricultural policy? Social conditionality is a very is a very simple principle. Um, if European taxpayers, uh, through the common agricultural policy, provide support uh, to you as an employer in the agricultural sector, then as a minimum requirement, uh, you have to respect uh, workers' individual and collective labour rights uh, and the applicable working conditions. Uh, we talk about public money, and uh, of course, the allocation of them uh, must be conditional on the respect of, of certain conditions. Uh, we should never forget that when we talk about uh, uh, labor rights, we talk about uh, human rights. And we should also never forget uh, that uh, uh, farm uh, subsidies are already conditional on compliance with uh, a different set of rules, environmental standards, public health and animal welfare rules. And uh, as trade union movement, we fully support this. Uh, but I think uh, we, we all agree on the fact that uh, uh, human beings do not work less than animals and plants. So um, that's, that's why we always say that uh, a truly sustainable common agricultural policy must have ambitious environmental goals, but it also must uphold the respect for workers' rights. And uh, it's crystal clear to everybody that if the social conditionality uh, will finally be part uh, of the final deal uh, on the next reform of the common agricultural policy, uh, then uh, for sure employer in the agricultural sector will be more attentive in assuring that uh, uh, workers' rights are uh, are respected. And uh, and I, I really believe that this is in the interest also, especially of farmers, because uh, uh, the vast majority of them respect uh, applicable working conditions and uh, they they actually face unfair competition from those that don't. So they should be those that are really promoting this social conditionality. And, uh, and um, social conditionality is the best uh, and the most effective way really to make sure that uh, a major part of the EU budget, which is uh, allocated to the common agricultural policy, really contributes in raising labor standards in uh, actually one of the most difficult and challenging sectors of the EU economy. 
So indeed, it's about uh, labor standards, and you also mentioned uh, human rights. But how unstable are uh, farm workers in the EU? And do you think is this is a problem we see uh, across the board or in uh, in some particular countries? So thank you very much for this question, because uh, uh, many may think that uh, when we talk about uh, uh, challenging working conditions, uh, we talk about uh, the situation uh, existing only in some countries especially maybe in the south of Europe. But actually, this is not, uh, this is not true. Uh, um, a vast proportion of uh, farm workers face really uh, precarious working conditions, poverty wages, uh, job insecurity, a lack of proper social security coverage almost everywhere. Uh, we can think about the many scandals that affected uh, uh, the agricultural sector in Germany, for example, last, uh, last uh, spring, uh, or even in the Netherlands, which is, as you know, the second uh, uh, biggest exporter of uh, food and agricultural produce in the world. But also, if you look at the Nordic countries, I mean, uh, um, if you think about, for example, the situation of uh, uh, berry pickers in the northern of Sweden, or even there, we have a situation where wages are... Uh, in certain in certain situations set differently on the basis of nationality or, or where we have a working time that is really not recorded. Uh, so we talk about uh, really uh, a sector which is uh, extremely complicated with very high level of undeclared work. And uh, these are not trade unions saying this. It's enough to, to check, for example, the ILO statistics. So the ILO reports that uh, about 61.2% of the EU agricultural labor force in Europe is engaged in informal employment. So this is really impressive because if we compare it with other sectors of the economy, I mean, uh, for example, in the manufacturing sector, we have uh, much, much lower levels, about less than 10%. So uh, the situation is really, really complicated. It's complicated everywhere. And we have also a situation, I mean, where we workers are really uh, facing widespread exploitation. We talk about game master practices and even situation of modern slavery, I would say. Not to talk about the housing condition, uh, especially especially in some countries. I mean, these are really inhuman. Eh? So many, many agricultural workers, they live, uh, especially seasonal workers, they live in containers or they live in uh, unsanitary uh, dwellings uh, without running water, without electricity, uh, overcrowded settlements with where it is really impossible to respect social distancing. And uh, let's think what this means uh, during, uh, during a global pandemic. So we really believe that uh, policymakers uh, cannot overlook this, this reality anymore. It's, uh, it's not acceptable. And on one hand, we have this scenario. On the other hand, uh, we have uh, one of the oldest and the most relevant policies of the European Union in terms of objectives, in terms of budget. And uh, it's clear that the common agricultural policy must play a role in this. And it's not acceptable anymore, really, to see that uh, labor rights play absolutely zero role in the allocation of, uh, of CAP funds. This must absolutely change. Those opposed to the inclusion of social conditionality say that it throws out all kinds of new hurdles for farmers, um, such as more administrative burden, more red tape. What is your, uh, your response to this? Our response is that uh, this is just an attempt to mislead the whole discussion around social conditionality. It's a, it's a principle that can be applied in a very easy, easy manner. And it must be clear, it must be clear to everybody that uh, when we talk about workers' rights, workers' rights are not red tape. It's really, uh, I would say, shameful thinking about red tape when we talk about workers' rights. I mean, uh, I'm asking you a question. Uh, is red tape uh, health and safety? Is receiving a fair remuneration red tape? 
it's uh, pretending to be employed legally with a, with a regular contract, a, a red tape. I mean, not at all. It's really not acceptable to, to say that. And uh, we must be clear that uh, uh, social conditionality is not at all about new burdens uh, for employers. Uh, and not even for administrators because, uh, and uh, for the CAP authorities, because it can really be easily applicable. It's just a matter of, uh, of political will. And um, it's really unacceptable. Social conditionality is uh, an additional instrument uh, to really making sure that uh, uh, employers respect the minimum floor of rights. It's, it's as simple as that. And the other criticism is actually on, uh, on the fact that this social conditionality will fall outside the common agricultural policies uh, mandate. Because, I mean, for instance, it wasn't in the proposal of the commission and actually it's not something that it's uh, commonly linked to farming subsidies. So what, what's your take on that? We are also very clear on this. I mean, uh, at its inception, no? the common agricultural policy, main purpose was uh, to stabilize the market, uh, to guarantee really the availability of supplies uh, and reasonable prices for consumers, but then also to ensure uh, a fair standard of living for the agricultural community. Uh, and when we talk about the agricultural community, I mean, we don't speak only about farmers. We talk about also farm workers, agricultural workers. We have more than 10 million agricultural workers in Europe. So it's even in the Treaty on the Function of the European Union, it's enough to look at Article 39. It speaks about the agricultural community. So uh, this is absolutely possible. We have also other policies at European level, other regulation. Think about public procurement, for example that includes system of conditionality or social clauses. And uh, it is absolutely po possible from a legal point of view, it, and it makes absolutely, absolutely sense. So it's not a matter of uh, legal basis. It's not a matter of uh, uh, not being possible to have this social conditionality. It's just a matter of, uh, of political will. And this must absolutely, absolutely change. And talking about kind of political willingness, I know there is um, strong support from the parliament for the inclusion of social conditionality in the camp, but there is less support um, from, from agricultural ministers in the council who, uh, you know, they're throwing up a lot more concerns about this. And recently, they've kind of tabled these three proposed suggestions of, of ways that it can be included in the common agricultural policy. Um, which of these, in your opinion, do you think is kind of the most favourable um, from the perspective of your organization? It must be clear that uh, um, among those four options, uh, actually there is only one, which is about social conditionality. This is quite surprising because the position, the first reading position of the European Parliament uh, includes quite a broad uh, interpretation of the concept of social conditionality. So it must be clear that uh, the, final, uh, the final deal must include social conditionality, not another alternative which is weak and completely useless because it wouldn't help in raising labor standards in, in agriculture. So from the trade union side, we are very clear on this. Uh, social conditionality is what we strongly defend. We support very much, I must say, the, the position of the, of the European Parliament that uh, encompass uh, a broad concept of, uh, of social conditionality. And, uh, and we, really, we really believe that uh, uh, member states now must uh, move on. And uh, let me say something very important as well. So uh, this week, I think, uh, uh, showed that the demand for social conditionality in the next common agricultural policy is extremely broad. There was a letter, an open letter addressed to national agriculture minister 
to, to the European Commission and to the European Parliament. And this broad letter that really demands the inclusion of social conditionality in the next cap was uh, uh, supported uh, uh, by more than 300 between uh, uh, NGOs, civil society organizations, high-level personalities, and, uh, and also uh, representatives of the academic community. So there is a broad demand uh, from um, different uh, uh, stakeholders, uh, uh, not only the trade union movement, uh, to really making sure that the next cap reform is truly sustainable from an environmental perspective, uh, but also from a social one. So these two dimensions must really go uh, hand in hand. There cannot be any just transition without, uh, without decent work. It must be clear to, to everybody. And uh, uh, let me also say something very, very clear. I mean, it's not acceptable to see that from one side, the European Union claim, of course, the importance of uh, the social dimension. And, uh, of course, uh, there are very important uh, initiatives like the European Pillar of Social Rights that now is going to be implemented through uh, binding instruments. And also the Green Deal uh, make reference to the European Pillar of Social Rights. And then we have the Common Agricultural Policy, which is really one of the main policies of the EU that completely disregard the social dimension and workers' rights. There must be coherence in all these policies at European level. So the pandemic really presents the European Union with the opportunity to rethink the agriculture sector with a more sustainable and socially just vision. Workers' rights must be respected. And it goes without saying that the common agricultural policy that represents really about one-third of the total EU budget must contribute to this objective. So uh, social conditionality is the, only, is the only solution, and we cannot accept any sort of alternative that really wouldn't help at all in contributing in, in raising labor standards in agriculture. And another topic that we've touched on this week is about small family farmers in the EU, because uh, I spoke with MEP Chris McManus about this issue, something that's really close to his heart. He says he's concerned this could be the last generation of family farmers in the EU and that, you know, we're really against the clock to take action to try and save the EU family farming model, which is pretty you know pretty strong thing to say and i know that um in the past the agriculture commissioner janusz wojciechowski has been also concerned about this issue pointing out that roughly a thousand farmers per day um decide to you know throw in the towel on the business because of uh, unprofitability so we spoke with chris mcmanus to hear a bit more about his views on this issue I'm very concerned this will be the last generation of family farmers in the EU, uh, a combination of both the lack of economies of scale and bearing the brunt of supermarket price wars has made it almost impossible for small farmers to hold on. We're losing a thousand farmers a day as they decide to throw in the towel due to just not being profitable. And these are people with families and for many it means an end to way of life that they have lived for many generations. In terms of what will deliver the final blow, I think the, the EU 2018 figures uh, highlighted that almost a third of the land is now in the hands of less than one and a half percent of farm enterprises. Due to this control of land, they swallow nearly a quarter of all direct payments. On the other hand, 48% of all EU farmers are getting just over 5% of those payments. So the problem of land grabbing is also prevalent in Eastern Europe, where investment funds and private equity companies have swooped to capitalise to access uh, cap funding. Uh, and back home in Ireland, beef farmers face the greatest risk from low prices. The model used by small farmers is that of pasture grazing and low stocking density. 
although the most environmentally sustainable model available, this doesn't maximise profit. They're forced to compete with feedlot agriculture, which is based around high density and the feeding of cattle imported meal from South America. And in the eyes of farmers, each cap reform contains a bigger contradiction. EU politicians are demanding more conditionality and environmental deliveries, but set aside a smaller budget. When tens of thousands of farmers in my country are selling their produce below the cost of production and depend on shrinking subsidies from the EU, you have a crisis waiting to happen. CAP needs to be better targeted. We have spent years debating the definition of a genuine farmer and still many armchair farmers slip through the cracks. In order to salvage some credibility for CAP, it must deploy a safety net to keep small to medium farms viable. This means boosting their payments using three methods. In states where the system of historical entitlement was used, full convergence must be completed. This would equalise per hectare payments for all farmers. Once completed, the redistributive payment needs to be prioritised. This means providing an increased level of support for a certain number of hectares. To maximise the funds for redistribution, a real upper payment limit must be introduced at around €60,000. A failure to implement such measures would be the final nail in the coffin of EU farming and for our rural communities. So that's all from us this week. And this week, the AgriFood podcast was produced by Euractiv's AgriFood news team, Gerardo Fortuna and Natasha Foote, as well as Euractiv's podcast producer, Evie Curie. This podcast is also available on all the major streaming platforms, including Apple, Amazon, Stitcher and Spotify. Be also sure to subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss the latest agricultural news from the EU. I'm Gerardo Fortuna. Thanks for listening and see you next week.